Heavenly Father, I do want to thank you for, um, for the students in this room being light. Not just being light on Sundays and Wednesdays, but being light throughout the week. Because that's something that, as I think about the history of Solid, I think about the history of just being a youth group, that wasn't always the case. It can be very, very easy to hide, just as Pastor Tom preached last week, to hide our talents, to hide the riches of the wealth of the gospel of Jesus Christ and bury it in a napkin to keep our gospel hid. But as I was reminded, if our gospel is hid, it's hid to them that are lost. It'd be very easy to hide Monday through Saturday and then be a one day a week Christian. So I'm thankful that that doesn't seem to be the case, at least in this ministry, or at least for, uh, for members in particular that are here. I know there might be some who are struggling with that, who need to step out of their comfort zone and be challenged to let their light shine. And I hope that today's lesson would, would open that door up for them. And so, Father, please, I just want to lift up all of these requests and all of these praises, really, of just these opportunities for being there for prayer and to be there for encouragement for others and to be there to, to give answers of a reason of the hope that is in us. God, I pray you continue to do that. Give us that door of utterance, and then may we have the boldness to walk through it. In Jesus' name, amen. So I wanted to do something a little bit different to kind of kick things off, mostly because there's going to be this, the next three weeks before Stephen does the, the send-off message, before we send out Greentown, and uh, before, so I didn't want to go ahead and start a whole new series and then have that interruption there, so really I thought it'd be good for us to take these next three weeks and really look at the history of solid, look at who we are, how we came about, what we're about, and consequently where we're going. Because I don't know if you guys know this or not, but the name Solid next year will be 20 years old. 2003 was when this youth ministry had its first formal name. And man, I remember it uh, as clear as day. That was the moment when our youth group became a youth ministry. It wasn't just about getting together and hanging out. It wasn't just about getting together and hearing some cool stories from the Bible. It was time for us to grow up. It was time for us to not be children anymore. Speaking as children, you know, that passage that Timothy, that Paul's writing to Timothy, he says, but he says there came a time where I needed to be a man. I needed to have some maturity where I actually did something with my faith, not just keeping it to myself. And our youth ministry was never the same since that moment. And so next week I'll have more about the history of that, but I wanted to start things off by really looking at a name. And that's why the title of today's message is a biblical name, because solid really is biblical. It's in Matthew 5.16. Hopefully we'll look at that today. If not, we'll, finish, or we'll kick things off next week with looking at that. But names are very important. It helps give you your identity. It helps to get you to know who you are. And also, hopefully, it's how people know you. I mean, you can ask Andy if he's following a case, if he's detectiving is that the official verb? Detecting? It's detectiving. It is. Write it down. It is now. If he's detectiving, man, his case, if someone broke into somebody's house and they had video footage of just the face, it would make his job a lot easier if he had a name to go with that. Because then he could find the address. He'd be able to find the guy down. It helps to identify people. So hopefully it's how we are known. It's how people know us. Does anybody here, just out of curiosity, know what their name means? Bree? Strong. strong? You probably know, I did? Yeah, me and Brenna. <laughs> really? 
did not know that. All right. Awesome. Carsonian. My name is Son of a Marsh Dweller. You son of a marsh dweller. That's awesome. Oh, we're not going to forget that one. That's awesome. Carson, all right. Anybody got one that tops that? Emily? It doesn't top that. But my name means hardworking. Nice. Megan? Is what? Pearl. Awesome. Has anybody tried looking their name up and you find like, oh, it means this in Welsh, but it means this in Gaelic? And like, it's completely two different opposite ones. Like my name in, uh, I think it's Celtic. It means dweller in the hollow. And I'm like, I love that because I definitely would. <laughs> there are times where I definitely would choose just to live in a little hollowed out hole like a hobbit, which is part of the reason why your font is in Lord of the Rings font today. So I was a little bit inspired by that. But then, like, if you look at, I think it's the Greek, my name means helmet. I'm like, yeah, helmet of salvation. All right. But that could also mean hard-headed. So I went ahead and I looked up some of your guys' names, too. I thought it was kind of interesting. Brandon's not here, is he? Oh. But you know what, though? Brendan is a form of Brandon, and your name means prince or chieftain. I think you should go as the artist formerly known as Brandon. And now it's Prince. That's a joke only the adults will get. Caleb. Ayo. You never looked up your name before? Were you there when I did the men's ministry study for week one and I did this? It literally means foaming with, wait, no. Raging with canine madness. Caleb's name literally means mad dog. I'm probably going to touch on this next week because I think we're going to go to, to Numbers 13 to talk about that. Does that describe Caleb by any stretch of the imagination? No. No. <laughs> I don't know. I've seen a little raging madness from you. Alana, your name means it's a derivative from Alan, which means rock, but it was also used in Gaelic as kind of a term of endearment. It means, oh, child. It's almost like deer or your fair one. That's what that, it, what that alliterates to or what that means. Uh, Kiana, you in here? Your name means luminous. Shining your light. Jaden. Scott in here too? There he is. The Jadens. Your name means thankful. And I didn't know this. Did you guys not know it doesn't? I looked it up biblically, so take it up with God. Did you guys know that your name actually shows up in the Bible? Yeah. It's actually... It's true. No, seriously. I'm going to read it for you guys. It's very deep. It's got a beautiful, deep doctrinal picture. And next... Here it is. It's Nehemiah 3.7. And next unto them repaired Melathiah the Gibeonite, and Jaden the Maranathite, the men of Gibeon and of Mizpah, unto the throne of the governor on this side the river. Like I said, deep, deep doctrinal, very devotional. I was looking forward to this one. Gavin. Do you know what your name means? No idea. Your name literally means White Falcon. 
It also means little falcon. So here's the thing. You know what that means, right? If something tragic ever happens in your life, like you witness your parents' murder as you're going down an alley that you guys should have never been in in the first place. I'm Batman now. Soar, baby white falcon, soar. Fight crime and avenge their deaths. I'll be a millionaire, though. Start working on a superhero costume for him. Question, please. <laughs> Allie, your name means divine. It means sublime. It means uh, it has a noble kind or of a noble sort. You're royalty. Didn't know if you knew that. And is Dustin in here? Your name, buddy, means brave warrior. Dustin, brave warrior. How many of you guys, if you wanted to, you would completely change your name? To Corey. Yeah. <laughs> Andy definitely would, because he has like a, you know, he has no hard consonants in his name. It's just Andy. You need like a, you need hard consonants. Like Ryder. That's what you need. You get a hard sounding consonants. Ryder? All right. No hard consonants. Ryder. Dur. E-E-R. E's not a consonant. It's a vowel. Anyways. You guys may not like your name, but I assure you, you got nothing on these people. Nice. Jedi Knight! Oh, <laughs> oh, oh, I don't want that shot right now. Filet Mignon! <laughs> Crystal Methany! Uh, I think she's living up to her name. <laughs> Tyrannosaurus Rex Mullins. <laughs> the moral of this story is stay out of Elkhart, Indiana. You will see T-Rex. Donald Duck. Stark County Sheriff. I thought about getting rid of this one because I thought that this has got to be somebody's uncle in here. I was just waiting for somebody to yell, don't talk about my Uncle Duck! Why would you click that last You might not be able to read this, but it says Portrait of Miss I'm a Hog. Courtesy of the Hog Foundation for Mental Health. <laughs> yeah, what did you think was going to happen when you named her that? <laughs> Dr. Wet Farts? No. <laughs> I mean, just look at him. Come on. Kim, you suck. And he's ranked 31st in the Olympics. This one. This one is my absolute favorite. And I ended on this one. Fire Penguin Disco Panda. This guy's... This guy's literal license is this. You will never be as cool as this guy. I want to meet him. So again, are names not important? Names matter. <laughs> he goes by his full name, and you will say it and reverence the name. All right. So to bring it back in, hopefully, <laughs> names matter. It shows who we are, reveals characteristics about our personality in some degree or another. 
And hopefully, it's how we're known. And it's what we're found doing. And hopefully, that'll make more sense as we begin. So go ahead and open up your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1. As we talk about solid, the history of solid, and shining our light in darkness, where this name came about, this is very, very important. And understand, too, I mean, for those of you guys that are going to Greentown, I get it. You guys are, is it the entire group meeting today, Bobby? The entire youth for GBC's meeting today to go over your name. And understand, you guys are going to have a different name. Boy, I hope this whole exercise just caused you guys to really think soberly about the name you come up with. But the thing that I love, and I mean that kind of in a serious way because, you know, not to slight them or anything, but the, senior, or the, the singles ministry, they've changed their names three times in, what, the last 15 years, I think? Solid has lasted and stood the test of time for 20 years because it matters and it means something, and we're found doing what it says. So when you guys go and, and get your name for Greentown, understand, even though it's going to be a different name, these principles still are going to apply. Not just when it comes to the meaning behind a name, but next week when we look at the history, when it looks at the start, because, man, the history of Greentown, it's going to have its roots here of what happened during this time. And so as we look at Genesis chapter 1, we're going to see the beginning. In the beginning, look at verse 1. God created the heaven and the earth. And the earth was without form and void and what? Darkness was upon the face of the deep. And we understand this. A good majority of us, we know that... God didn't create it that way. Isaiah 45 talks about that God, he creates nothing in vain, nothing to be empty, nothing to be void. And he surely wouldn't create anything in darkness. And that's where when you read and study out Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28, this is where we see about Lucifer, who was the light bearer. It's what his name literally means. He was the one bearing the light of God the Father before Adam and Eve were even created. And he had these beautiful gemstones where the light would shine through and reflect this awesome light show that led the worship of the sons of God. You can read that verse. I think it's Job 38, 7. Someone fact check me on that later. Just read all of Job. You'll eventually find the answer and you'll get a blessing out of it. He was to lead the worship of the sons of God. But then he got lifted up in pride. He got lifted up with his own merchandise, the Bible says, his materialism. And he ended up having pride where he said, I will be like the Most High. Ended up leading a revolt, a rebellion. I think in Revelation 12, you'll read, he took a third of heaven with him, a third of the angelic hosts. And God brought destruction upon those angelic, upon those who rebelled. And brought forth this void, brought about this darkness upon the face of the deep. But the verse continues, and the Spirit of God, what? Moved upon the face of the waters. God is still moving. I love it. Verse 2 really mirrors our life. When you think about it, everything starts in darkness. We were born in darkness, born into sin. But ever since the very beginning, God's moving. He's on the scene, moving, trying to rectify things. And here he does. He starts in verse 3. God said, let there be what? Light. And there was light. I love it. Anybody here know anything about, and I don't want to get too deep into the woods with this, but any like real sciencey, techie guys who know about quantum mechanics or particle physics? <laughs> you are the expert then. Oversimplified. 
You're not raising your hand though? Okay. Oversimplified. Quantum mechanics and particle physics, it talks about the idea, you guys have heard the, the thing that darkness is the absence of light. I heard it worded this way and it completely just changed the way that I thought about this whole entire thing. But darkness, it exists until light is shed. In other words, there's no particles that create darkness. Darkness simply just is. It simply just exists. It's always here. It's always around. It's always, as we just read, been here since humans have at least been around. When Adam and Eve were created, sin in a relative sense existed because Lucifer rebelled. And when the serpent shows up on the scene in Genesis 3 in the garden, he's already full of sin. Hence his deception in leading Eve to take of the fruit and disobey God. Darkness has always been, it always exists until light is shed. See, light exists as particles to swallow the already existing darkness. So here's the thing. We often talk about how, man, you know what? Just the, the world is kicking my teeth in. My friends at school are trying to draw me back in to live this old lifestyle that I was before I got saved. My flesh and my carnality, the things that I'm looking at on my phone, the things that I'm talking about at school, it's just, man, I'm, this darkness is pulling me back in and the darkness is swallowing me up, not according to the way that God initiated things scientifically. Darkness doesn't swallow or absorb light. It just is. If things are seeming to get dark in your life, it's not the darkness absorbing our light. It's us maybe doing something to put a bushel on the candlestick or saying, hey, Satan, can you snuff this out? I want to be in darkness a little bit. That's how it really happens. That's what science even backs up the Bible on. And we're going to see here in a little bit and a little bit next week too about just how this biblical theme kind of goes on. It's not the darkness swallows it up. It, read James 1 later on today. Every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lusts. If our light's going out, it's because we're choosing to flip the switch off. Not because the darkness is just so overwhelming. Not because the world system and school and our friends are just dragging away and eating away at the light. It's not how it works. But look at verse 4. I love this. This is the very opening verses of God's word. And God saw the light that it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. Right out of the gate, in the opening, in the beginning of how this whole thing all started. God sanctifies the darkness from the light. He separates light from darkness, divides it. What does sanctify mean? Can anybody think of like a, a biblical definition of sanctify? Maybe someone's been through discipleship. You've talked about this. Sam? To set apart, or more specifically, to set apart from the world unto God. Thank you. It, so, sanctify is kind of like the word repentance. Sometimes we say to turn. It means to turn. Well, like sanctify, you need to turn from something and turn to something else. And hopefully, you're turning from sin to God. Because understand, it can work the other way. You can repent and turn from God and turn unto sin. But the same thing with sanctify. You're set apart from the world system, set apart from your lost friends at school who do not value the word of God because they don't have the spirit of God in them. 
You're set apart from them and unto God and his word and fellow like-minded believers to radiate and reflect more light to absorb the darkness in the world. But we need to be set apart first. That's how things start at the beginning. So on your outline, we see there is what? Darkness. And then God comes on the scene and brings light. Light. And point two, today, there is still darkness. So I love the, the book of Genesis. It's the book of beginnings. It sets the pattern for how the rest of the Bible is going to go and consequently the rest of the world. And speaking of set apart, I have Colossians 1 on the screen here. It says, Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear son? That word translated, it literally means to carry or remove from one thing and porting it over to another. And again, just think about translating a language. You're taking it from one form and removing it or carrying it and transporting it over to another form. That's what God did at the moment of your salvation. You're born into this life into the power of darkness under Satan's grasp and his control. And through the light of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ, when you choose to receive that light and call upon him to save you, he translated you from this form in the power of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son. But there's still darkness today. That's the point. All the way back in Genesis before Adam and Eve were created, and now here to us today, 2,000 years later when this was written, has darkness completely gone away? No, it's getting darker. It's getting even darker than what it was in Paul's day. He would say that exact same thing to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.1, that at the end times, perilous days are coming. Perilous. Because everyone's walking around thinking they're radiating the light of Christ, and really... They're lost. Even though they go to church every single Sunday, even though they may even go to church on Wednesdays, even though they'll show up to your Bible studies that you're leading at school, thinking that because they have a Bible and they're a part of your Bible study or they're connected and fellowshipping with you, that they have the glorious light of the gospel of Christ in them. But if they've never come to that point where they have come to that point of decision where they called upon Christ to save them, realizing that it is for them he died and that they have received that free love offering of Jesus Christ dying on the cross for their sins and made it personal, they're lost. And it's because their churches aren't preaching this to them because they're not opening the Bibles to them. Now do you see why it's important to know who you are as solid you're to shine your light, not only to those that you know beyond the shadow of a doubt they're lost. You're to shine your light to those who think they're saved. That's why we are living in the most perilous days ever seen. Because there's so many out out there that think that they're genuinely saved and they don't know it. That's why we always need to be shining our light. So who are you? Who are you? Are you known as someone that people can count on to go to for a prayer request, to go to for an answer to a question? 
like I said, things that were shared today go right along with today's message. So, light and dark, they're opposites. They don't mix. It's like oil and water. And now that we're in the kingdom of his dear son, do our problems go away? No. Because Ephesians 6 lets us know that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the, what? Darkness of this world against spiritual wickedness in high places. It is so important to get into your hearts and then your minds. Maybe it's the other way around, but sometimes eh, get in your hearts first. Let God take care of the rest. Get into your hearts that we are not fighting with each other. You have issues with somebody in this room right now? Yes, you do have an issue with them. That's not the force that's behind it, though. It's not the force that's behind it. Do you have issues in your walk? Yeah, to a degree it's you, but there's spiritual darkness that's behind it, trying to get you to turn off the light. Some of you guys, you have a home life where maybe you're in a home right now where you're the only one that's saved. As much as you'd like to think that that person or that family member, they are your enemy. They're not. They're not. We need to start looking at people through the eyes of Christ. And we're going to be talking about this in about a month to two months down the road. We need to start looking at people through the lens of how Christ sees them. You know how Christ saw the wickedness of the day, the darkness of the day? He looked upon the people and he wept because they were as sheep that had no shepherd he had compassion on them. When you have compassion and you have that love towards people, it'll allow you to look over the obstacles that they may present in your life. It'll allow you to see through the petty differences that you might be in, experiencing with people. And it'll allow you to see, man, I'm having this issue. I'm having this opposition in my life because of there is darkness today that is trying to get me not to be who I am, to not be who God made me to be in Christ as someone who shines their light in a dark place. Turn over to John chapter 3. I love this. I saw this passage in a whole new light, no pun intended, when I was looking at this. We know John 3.16. Most of the lost world knows John 3.16. It's one of the most infamous verses that even lost people know. Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, this religious ruler who thought he knew God's word, who thought he knew the Bible because he grew up in church all of his life, grew up in the temple all of his life, knowing these things, being taught these things. And then the word of God in living form comes and just says, nope, here's the reality of it. Here's what it really is. So he tells them, God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believed in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. But jump down to verse 18. He that believeth on him is not condemned, meaning you're not lost. You're not going to go to hell, be separated from him for all eternity. But he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. I never saw this verse like this before, but do you guys realize that this verse 
probably one of the greatest verses or one of the one of the greatest verses that will completely obliterate the argument that people have that they think good works will save them. I never saw this verse like that before. So people who have the mindset that, oh, if I am a good person and, and I'm trusting my good works to save me and that one day when I get and I stand before God, my good is going to outweigh my bad. That's where you kind of come in. And we're like, yeah, let me just stop you there. Because Jesus himself already said that you're not even going to make it to that day. He said right now, if you don't believe, if you don't believe the word of God and what God's word says and how you are saved, you're condemned already. So it doesn't even matter if you get to heaven and think that your good is going to outweigh your bad. His word says you're condemned right now. That obliterates the good works argument right there. I never saw that like that before. As far as, I mean, I knew that verse, but never saw it as it pertains to the people who use it as an excuse. And he says why people are condemned in verse 19. This is the condemnation. That light is come into the world and men loved what? darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil for everyone that doeth evil hateth the light neither cometh to the light lest his deeds should be reproved this is why darkness persists and why darkness wins because lost mankind stays as far away from the light as humanly possible this is why the impetus is on us to let our light so shine. So here's the thing. If things are getting darker in our world today, and it's just darker and darker, why do you think that is? Just oversimplified. Why is it that this is the most darkest time in human history where it seems like nobody is doing anything even morally good? I mean, even back in the 1950s, I don't know if you guys looked at old pictures or watched old-timey movies, but like there were even TV shows where people were like, hey, we can unlock our doors at night. There's no vagrants about that are going to break in here. And they even talked like that. It was very funny and weird. Why has it gotten so dark where everyone's scared to death that, goodness, if I go down here, someone might just lose their mind and start spraying. If things are so dark, why is that? Absence of light. Absence of light. But wait a second, though. We're light. We're shining. Well, yeah, we need other churches to step up. And that's one of the reasons why we're sending out a church. And hopefully in two years' time, we'll send out another one. Because hopefully throughout the next two years, we will be doing our job, not for the sake of numbers, but we'll be doing our job to fill these four walls right away. And Greentown, I know that's going to be your exact motivation and your heart's desire too to blow out that building as quick as possible. So you're thinking, should we go north? Let's let me look at Akron. Why is it? If we're not seeing an impact in our schools, if we're not seeing an impact in our lost family members and friends, two things. Is our light shining bright enough? If not, well, maybe it's because, and it's really all sin kind of breaks down into two different ways. If our light's not shining bright enough, maybe it's because of a sin of commission. There's something that we are committing that is quenching the candle, that's quenching the light from shining and radiating to the lost world. 
And that's why our light isn't shining bright enough in our schools. Our light's not shining bright enough. And a simple question to know that is if we were to go to your schools today and ask the people that you're in your classroom with, we were to ask your teachers, hey, is so-and-so a Christian? What would they say? Ask yourself that question right now as you're sitting there thinking about it. What would my teachers and co-students, fellow students, classmates, that's, that was the word I was looking for, what would they actually say? The other thing to think about is, okay, my light is shining. There's nothing I'm doing right now. There's no major sin I'm in that would dampen the flame or dampen the candle. But is my light reaching far enough? Because again, as we just saw, men run away from the light. They don't want it. Is my light reaching far enough? And usually, if that's the case, it's because of something called a sin of omission. You're omitting meaning you're not doing something you should be. Yes, that's actually called sin in the Bible. To him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, the Bible says to him it is sin. If we know that we should probably be taking our Bible to school, if we know that we should be looking for opportunities, if we know that we should just be planting seeds, not having to take them to the foot of the cross every single time, but just planting seeds, throwing little things out there just to get them thinking. If we know we are to be doing that, are we? If we're not, maybe that's why our light isn't reaching far enough. Because like it or not, every single day, today, men keep running farther and farther away from light. Are we pursuing after them? Are we trying to let our light reach far enough? Number three. We're going to end here, number three, and it's perfect because number four actually leads beautifully into what I wanted to talk about next week anyways. The response to darkness, it's the same found in Genesis 1. What did God do in Genesis 1 as his response to darkness? He brought forth what? Light. Something we've been talking about the entire time. We're here in John 3. Look over at chapter 1. You want to see a beautiful parallel to Genesis chapter 1? It's right here in John 1. It'll be obvious from the very first verse. John 1, 1. In the beginning was the? And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. And things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was what? Life. And the life was the light of men. And what does that light do in verse 5? shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. I love this, because he's, he's basically kind of giving uh, the creation account over again in these first five verses. And he talks about how the light shines in the darkness, but he doesn't end there. Look how he transitions right to this next paragraph marker here. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a what? In other words, God didn't just shine light just for the sake of shining light. There's a purpose behind it. There's a mission involved that requires us. God, for whatever reason, wants to recruit us to join him in his mission of shedding forth light to expel darkness. He could have just done it himself but he wants to use us because he made us in his image. 
We are a special creation to him, and he wants to utilize us to help accomplish his will. That is why, and I get it, I have days where I'm down. I do even have days where it feels like I'm depressed. I have days where I'm like, I want to quit. This doesn't matter anymore. We're so close to the end. Let's just chill. I have those days. Felt like it even this week. But if we're still here, that means God still wants to work. If we're still here, we still have a mission. If we're still here, God so desperately still wants to love and reach out to people. And he wants to still use you and me. That's huge. That's huge. Look what John did. He was to be a witness, verse 7, to bear witness of the light. He was to testify He was to give testimony of that light that all men through him might believe. Now he, John the Baptist, was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. So you've been given the light of the glorious gospel of Christ. The moment you got saved, you were given that light of Jesus indwelling you and you in him. Just like John here. What are you doing with that light? Hide it under a bushel? Let Satan snuff it out? Let it shine, baby. Acts 26. You guys are familiar with this passage because I'm... Yeah, I'm certain that Bobby went over this for witnessing. This is Paul giving his testimony when he was standing to bear witness of the light. And he says that God spoke to him to open their eyes and to turn them, lost mankind, from darkness to what? He did something with that light that was in him. And from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. Paul could have just opened his eyes after the scales fell off and like, oh, I can see now. Awesome. I'm going to go back to killing Christians. He could have done that. And honestly, many Christians today do. They, as a dog, return back to their vomit of their old lifestyle and their old sinful ways. And some even do that while coming to church every single Sunday and Wednesday. I was one of them for two years of my life, my two years of my saved Christian life. No, Paul realized, I have to do something with what I have been given of God. This light that has blinded my eyes and has caused me to see clearly in this area of darkness, I need to do something with it. So what are we doing with it? What are you going to do with it tomorrow when you go back to school? Who's the person that's on your mind right now that you're thinking about? Just plant a seed, just a little seed. Just invite them to broomball. It can be something as simple as that. At least we're doing something. It doesn't have to be big and monumental baby steps. And lastly, turn over to 1 Peter chapter 2. Really, the answer to the question of who you are, what is your identity, who you are is what you'll be found doing. If you say you're solid... You'll be found doing it. If you say you're shining your light in darkness, you'll be found doing it. It's a biblical principle. It's found all throughout Scripture. 
1 Peter chapter 2, look at verse 9. But ye are a chosen generation. Oh, that's so huge. You guys, you ever just think, man, why wasn't I born back in like the 16, 1700s when things were great? I think that, I mean, aside from like the short lifespan and, you know, all the diseases and sicknesses, it was awesome. I want to live colonial life. No, God chose you to be born this time, this age, this day, right now for such a time as this. The most perilous time in all of human history. You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. Some of your names mean noble, nobility. You are in Christ. And holy nation, a peculiar people. That word peculiar, it means particular. It means belonging to one person and not another. Are you known as that? Do people know you? Is that your identity, that you belong as a child of the one true king? What would they say? Peculiar people. Uh, Where am I at? That ye should show forth. God just doesn't want you to be a peculiar people just for the sake of it. No, he wants us to show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness and into his marvelous, what? Which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. <sighs> to end it here, I guess. And I wasn't planning on it, but... Time won't allow it. If you say you're solid, you're shining your light in darkness. Watch out for Satan and for the world and for the flesh who wants to snuff out the light. That fleshly lust, that war against your soul, wanting to dampen it out. Here's the thing, though. As we already began, darkness cannot exist if there is light. The light of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ is in your heart if you're genuinely saved in here today. Darkness can't win. Darkness cannot overcome your light. It is impossible, scientifically and spiritually speaking, for that to happen. The only way for you to get into darkness, for the darkness to absorb you, if we want to use that language, is if we let it. So if there's a sin in here that you're dealing with, or if you're getting too drawn in with your school friends that are pulling you away from the word of God and pulling you away from doing the work of the Lord, you are allowing that light to go out. And it ought not to be so because it's not who we are. It's not our identity. And that's not what we're to be found doing. Let's pray. So Father, with that, let's go into school tomorrow, guns blazing. Spiritually, of course, speaking. Let us take the sword of the Spirit, God, and let's slay the giants that are in our life. Let's slay all of the, the, the strongholds and the forts that are trying to get us to snuff out our own candle. God, I thank you very much for these very simple truths, but man, I need to be reminded of them. Let's be looking for these opportunities to shine our light and to do what it is that you have called us to do because it's who we are in Christ. We bear your name. Let us not trample it underfoot. Pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, guys.